Welcome to ECDHR in Conversation with Saudi Women, presented by Deborah, Manon, Mariangela, and Sherry. We hope that through this series you will get a better understanding of the women's rights situation in Saudi Arabia and why our participants left the country. All of them are now very active in the fight for human rights and this might be a great opportunity for you to get inspiration from amazing women. Thank you for joining us in today's episode. Hello and welcome. I'm joined today by Shoa Al-Zahrani. Shoa is an activist who works to expose the reality of women's condition in Saudi Arabia, fighting the false image that reforms are transforming the lives of Saudi women. She is a Saudi refugee living in Canada and is also a member of the National Assembly Party. Today, we will talk about Shoa's experience as a Saudi woman and how her life in Canada compares to life in Saudi Arabia. Welcome, Shoa. Hi, thank you for having me and giving me this opportunity to speak out, uh, even though it's like uh, my first time, but I hope it's going to be like fine and <laughs> so good. Thank you again. Thank you very much uh, for being here today. So Shoa, you were born and raised in Saudi Arabia and left when you were aged 28. Can you tell us what it was like growing up as a young woman in Saudi Arabia? It was really difficult, like knowing that you being a woman uh, will face a lot of problems whenever whatever you say, whatever you do could cause you harm in Saudi Arabia by your family, by the society, by the laws. So I grew up in a typical family. My family was conservative, so we we had a lot of issues in the family. So um, I also went to a religious school where we mainly focus on Quran and Hadith. So, and in those school, like I studied there for 12 years, which is elementary, secondary and high school. And it was so hard for me, like going there everywhere, have to fake like my, my real self, like you have to be uh, another person. Um, I remember like uh, in secondary, I got suspended for only having a picture of a famous singer in Saudi Arabia, which wasn't allowed at the time. Also in high school, we um, like every morning we would get lined up and search for the black gloves and the black socks. Like you have to wear them whenever you are in or out school. And if you're not, we get flashed every single morning, which was so difficult for me. It, it made me like hate school. And I'm, I'm, I'm a smart person, I love school for sure. But <laughs> it was so difficult for me. Like I don't even um, only face it in, inside my family. Like my, my dad wouldn't, wouldn't allow TV or going out to uh, visit a friend. Or even if you are sick, you're not allowed to go to a hospital unless he's with you. So it was so hard inside the family and also outside the family. Also the society, like... It, it was like a disaster. Like um, when I when I was like a, an, an adult, I thought like it could be changed, especially when I got married. But I still faced the same thing. Um, I remember going to the mall and being kicked out for being with my husband and my kid and covering my face from religious beliefs. So they were arguing with my husband and my husband told them, if you don't want to look at her face, you can look away. And they said, no, you're going out. 
you're not allowed here. Even though if you see at that time, we have many Western uh, women who are uh, uncovering their face and still fa and not face anything like us Saudis. So it was so difficult. Now I could see, uh, I could say it's a little bit better, but for most of us, no. Not inside the family, not in the laws. Only privileged people could benefit from the laws and the changes. As you reached adulthood, did you face any obstacles in accessing education or professionally? Yeah, we have we have faced like a, a lot of things, like some majors, especially in college and university, weren't allowed for women. So you know, we like uh, most of us went to teaching, and um, some of us went to business school. I had um, uh, a bachelor degree in translation, so we have a specific major that we could um, apply for. Now I heard like a lot of uh, women have more opportunity and um, that's a good uh, thing but you still have an issue with the guardianship it's not only your decision or if it's open for you or not if the law is not protecting you and your choices then it's nothing nothing changed we're still in the same like 10 20 years ago like I couldn't go to medical school because my family refused, especially my dad. So there's no law that protects me and my choice um, or whatever I want to do or I want to be. So, and, and this still goes on. So if this law didn't change or at least left off, nothing is going to change. Even though, it, let's say, for example, the government trying for real this time to empower women and change uh, a lot of things. If you are not lifting the guardianship uh, laws, nothing's gonna change. All women will be controlled by their, uh, their families. And whenever they decide that they will take whatever from you, like your job, your career, whatever, they are allowed to do so. You mentioned that you thought things might change when you got married, but that it didn't really change for you. Um, could you tell us more about this? In Saudi, like married women will have a little bit trust of their family. Like if you are single, they are afraid like, you're gonna have a relationship and you're gonna be like pregnant or whatever. And when I got married, um, I was allowed for the first time to go out with my sisters alone, which was a huge change for me. That was a, a thing I never dreamt of. So a little bit of thing changed, but not really. Like whenever I do something or wear something, my family still like have uh, some uh, control over me. Um, like um, I remember even like uh, I faced um, a problem before going out to Saudi Arabia for only like um, uh, speaking up that uh, my dad tried to divorce me from my husband, like uh, thinking that he had a bad uh, impact on me. And um, like, uh, I'm a minor, like, I don't know what's going on. I don't have a, um, you know, like they don't treat you like an adult, no matter how old are you. So he thought like he he's protecting me by doing so, but he wasn't, he was like, 
only destroying my life, not listening to me, not seeing what I want. So no matter how you think, like if you uh, like get married or have kids that uh, your family or the society or the laws, it's gonna change for you and you're gonna find the way of your life. It's not, you're still a minor. So you mentioned that your father was your guardian, but when you got married, did guardianship transfer to your husband? He didn't still my guardian, but he have um, like in the in the society, like the father is like have more power, especially when you go to the judge. Like they listen to the father, not the husband or the wife. So it's it's still an issue in Saudi Arabia, like the judge who like graduated from uh, religious like majors and they always when they like uh, when they practice in their work they always taking it from like yeah you're disobeying your family you're disobeying your father they don't look at the whole story they don't listen to you sometimes they even like um how do i say it they even like put you in daraya i think you heard of it for only just listening to your parents and if they said for example like you tried to hit them and you didn't do so they would never even listen to you they will do whatever their your parents like said like if they said you did whatever you said whatever they believe in them so we have issues in the law system and it needs to be changed completely like Um, I know my husband is my guardian, but it's still like our parents, mine and his, still have more power in the law than like us. Like many Saudi women, you left the country seeking asylum elsewhere. Can you tell us just a bit about why you decided to leave the process that, you know, of making this decision? Uh, it all started when um, MBS started to arrest many people like journalists, activists, um, economists. I was talking with my husband, which we weren't allowed to in Saudi Arabia to criticize the government or the way it deals with people or the laws or whatever. So we were talking about how the government was like so false by taking those people who looking to reform or um, adjust the laws, seeking justice for all of us. So we were talking and um, in the society, um, they think it's a patriotism that you report people to the government. They think that you're, you will be a good citizen. So we have been reported to the government for criticizing and we were about to face uh, prison. Um, at that time, I wasn't ready to leave my like kids alone. Uh, I had um, at that time I had like four and two years old boys, and I didn't know for how long I might go in in prison with my husband. So we decided to flee the country, and we tried to look for the best option for us. Did you know where you wanted to go, or why did you end up in Canada? Uh, at that time, uh, there were some 
issues with Canada, like the government boycott uh, its relationship with Canada for criticizing human rights violation um, in 2018. So um, we thought like a government that stood uh, for our, gov our government criticizing it and um, like didn't care or thought what would, could happen. They just did it because they believe it's the right thing. It's the right government or the right country for us to be there and feel protected and safe. So we decided to go to Canada and we applied for a visitor visa. And once we were there in Montreal, we um, seek asylum. Um, was it an easy decision to leave Saudi Arabia for you? Not at all. Like, um, first of all, we were so afraid of our life, of our kids. We had to flee the country without saying goodbye to anyone, not my family, not my husband's family, not our friends, nothing. We just left in a hurry and we left everything behind, like our belongings and all the memories and everything. It was like a scary moment, even at the airport. Like we have been like trying to see if anyone is looking at us or following us or whatever. And we weren't sure that we are we have a travel ban or not. So we had like to figure out it at the airport and like for us that we had like two two uh, flights one to one of the gcc countries um and the other was to montreal so it's like trying not to uh give the government the right like our way of the direction we're going to so. After you left, did your family like face any repercussion? Actually, I don't know. Like um, my family, my friends, they fear for their life, for their freedom. Though, so we lost all the connections with all the people in Saudi Arabia. Um, it's been like um, it's gonna be like three years. I never heard of them. I never talk to them. I have no connection. Like my kids start to forget about them because when they left the country, they were so young. They don't remember it that much. And with all, with all the time, like apart from them, they just keep asking and know nothing. So yeah, it's so hard. And I don't know, I, I wish they are so good and, and fine and safe. So you have two kids um, yeah. since you have been living in Canada for a while now and your kids as well, do you feel there are any differences between the childhood you had in Saudi Arabia and the one your kids are living now in Canada? Yeah, of course, of course, it's totally different. Um, in Saudi we forced to be like the same we all like the same similar in uh, in the way we we wear clothes uh, the way uh, we talk the way we um, act we have to be like uh, copies of each other if you are not like the others then there's something wrong with you so um, raising my kids in in a healthier society that have no discrimination okay of course, every country or every society has its issues, but in some society you see it more than it's not normal. So um, 
being here in a healthy society, like I don't have to think about uh, making everything right. Like I have to express to my kids why uh, women and men don't treat the same. So um, they just have to live with it. it it's better than me, than, than my experience. And I would never wish for anything than that. Like I was um, in, in Saudi, I was like afraid that I have to um, talk to them every day to um, face the society, to correct the ideas they have about like um, everything. So now it's it's better. It's better than my experience and it would be easier for them. And as life changes for you, um, is there anything that is difficult for you about your new life? Uh, my life changed 100%. Mm, the life I live now, I wished to live it in Saudi Arabia, but of course not everything you wish for, you get it. So the only difficulty thing that I think most of us face is to start from the scratch in an, a new country that you don't know about, like the education system, the laws, uh, the community. You don't know anything about this society and you have to figure it out by yourself. And especially for me, like I came here 28 years old and um, I already had my experience. So I'm automatically like, uh, set for Saudi experience and uh, this was hard for me and not having any families or friends here or uh, at least talking to them was the difficult one other than that everything is more than I want and do you think you could ever go back like would you want to go back to Saudi Arabia I wish I wish but not like that when things change for the best like um and knowing for sure it changed for all of us, not only privileged people or some people who get benefited from the laws or the system or whatever. Um, only in that case, I, I would come back, maybe like not living there, but at least visiting for like a few months or something. As an activist, you have been working to expose the real living conditions for women in Saudi Arabia. And can you tell us how you first got involved with this in December 2018? What was the thing that pushed you to become an activist? I have a feeling of responsibility that since I flee the country and now I have more freedom um, in a country uh, that it's not mine, um, that I'm responsible to talk about everything I face and people in Saudi Arabia still face. And stood up for the government propaganda that tried to spread in the Western world, especially the Western world, because they care about their image, not um, the people. They care about how people talk about them, not how their people live or the rights they have or the freedom they have. So for me, like, having uh, some activists like Lujaina Hadloul and Aziz Al-Yusuf and a lot of women talking for me in a time I couldn't talk. I was like speechless. I couldn't talk. I couldn't stand for my rights. That made me feel like I'm not forgetting. 
So I'm trying to do the same thing now for other people. Um, I could live my life like and enjoy everything, but it's my duty to my people that I should talk and I should expose everything that's happening there. Uh, and especially the fake one that we all try to like uh, welcome the new change. But in real life, when you talk to real people there in Saudi Arabia, you will see how fake they are, how life didn't change for like, I would say 80% of people there. So it's like part of my responsibility and duty to do so. You are active on Twitter, raising awareness of not only women's rights, but also issues surrounding the rights of LGBTQ, Shia, atheists, minorities, and not only in Saudi Arabia, but the whole Arab world. Why is it important for you to highlight these issues too? I think all of this comes from like um, many decisions where Islamic, so they only talk about problems they are facing, like, uh, like freedom of speech and things. And they always exclude minorities from their speech, like not focusing on their issues, not addressing them, not trying to be like united together. Like they believe they don't have rights. And we faced that as women before, and we still facing that. Like feminism is still like um, targeted by the government and by some Islamic president. So it's my duty that I talk about myself and all other minorities and addressing the issues that they are facing because once I was in the same spot. So we all like living in the same country in the same um, world. We are all human. Why should we discriminate each other based on our gender or beliefs or anything else? We created those things just to control each other, like the majority control the minorities. So I believe that all humans deserve um, the same rights and the same equality. That's why we should all like addressing those issues and focusing on all of us, not just a self-centered circle. Do you believe that the human rights situation could change in Saudi Arabia? I believe so, but it's only in one case. If we all united together, if we are still discriminating each other and um, excluding each other from the speech, from addressing the issues, from um, the criticizing, then nothing will change. This is all on the benefit of the government only. You mentioned that you were part of National uh, Assembly Party. Yeah. Would you like to explain to us how you became involved with it? So yeah, I'm a, I'm a member of the um, of, uh, Democratic uh, Party uh, called the NAS, National Assembly Party. It's a party that founded in exile and have a diversity of people from Saudi Arabia. Like we have Chia, we have Sunna, we have uh, feminists, we have uh, people who support LGBTQ. So this is a big change for us. Like this is the only party so far that have a lot of people who are not similar, or as I said, can be based on each other. And they all uh, treat each other with respect and they all understand each other like we complete each other we try and 
uh, each of, uh, of us try to highlight the issues that he wants or she wants the party to talk about and and to address. So it's it's a big change for us. Like I never see any um, political party, especially in our countries that have so many diverse people as we have. And I hope um, it truly be the voice of us, like all of us, uh, without discrimination. So. Why did you choose to tell your story today? For me, uh, at first, I didn't want to like uh, talk to Western media. <laughs> um, I was focusing on my people, but then I saw a lot of people um, especially journalists, whitewashing the government's violation and uh, trying to talk about whatever the government's uh, fake can or um, uh, trying to publish to the media. Uh, and they forgot that the real um, people who are harm are the people of uh, Saudi Arabia. And like what, what's happening in Afghanistan, they are focusing on what, whatever the media comes um, off or whatever people in control uh, saying or uh, uh, doing. And they didn't focus on the people, what are they facing and what are the things that they need to be fixed. So that was like, for me, um, I don't know, I, I hated those things. Like, I'm a Saudi, I know what we are facing. I knew trying um, to watch everything on our account and our like lives, freedom. So yeah, that gets me so upset. And, I, and now I'm trying to go bigger and expose everything. What message would you give to young women and men in Saudi Arabia today? Um, I don't think they need any message from me, me. Like they are giving me power, like in social media, I've, I've known a lot of people uh, for more than six months and um, they are now in prison just for speaking. So they are the one who giving me power. I would say like, just keep what you are doing, uh, stay safe, uh, focus on the things that matter to you but don't forget other people don't forget other issues always be united together and um i hope everything can be okay and of course we will never forget the political prisoners who are which is like the main issues we have like we have a lot of people we have college girls college boys we have even minors in prison some of them facing execution. So we have to stay united and speak up. This is what like the government fear the most, that the people still speak up, even though that the government started like trying to intimidate us, like people outside or inside, um, like inside by prisoning them and silence them outside. Like I faced some threats of killing, kidnapping my kids and it, it didn't stop me like i chose my way so i have to stay on it i know what's coming uh, or what i might face but I, none of that does matter if my people are still suffering and the new generation will continue to suffer like us
And what message would you instead give to the wider public or our listeners? I would tell them to stop listening to the government and its troll or people that the government control, like ministers or ambassadors or whatever. Start listening to the real people inside Saudi Arabia. We'll see many issues that the government try to cover and try to listen to the people. You find them in social media, you find them in real life, but stop being fooled by the government. So it's been a pleasure to interview you. And on behalf of ECDHR, thank you very much, Soa Zahrani, for speaking to us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really so glad that I spoke up and then uh, I had an opportunity to speak up and you guys are so amazing. So thank you again for having me. On behalf of ECDHR, thank you for joining us and for listening to our podcast. The next episode will be available next Friday. You can find a few recommended readings from our interviewees in the show notes for each episode. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to our social media channels if you want to learn more about the human rights situation in the GCC countries.